We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hi friends, and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 206. I had the amazing privilege of interviewing the current world-ranked number one show jumper. He is based in Sweden. He recently won at the Olympic Games in Tokyo. He is an absolutely amazing equestrian. I wanted to hear about his thoughts and how he handles stress and living up to that number one ranking, a little bit about his horses and what he thought of the past Olympic Games. So without further ado, I would love to welcome our guest today, Peter Fredrickson. I would love to hear what kind of first brought you into the equestrian world. Um, I had a brother who was five years older than me. And when I was young, I was just... I wanted to do whatever he was doing. I wanted to do, to do the same. And he was riding, so I was riding. That's how it started. Amazing. And then at what point were you, you know, really figuring out that you love this, that you're really good at it, and that it could potentially be a big part of the rest of your life? Um, well, that's a good question. I always done it. You know, I've always been riding. As far as I can remember, actually, I started when I was really, really young. And, um, you know, even though I was riding my first Olympic at age of 20, I wasn't 100% sure that this was going to be like my profession. I was pretty sure I was always going to ride, but I was also studying um, graphic design and painting a lot and doing doing those kind of things. Um, just doing like half that, half riding for a long time. actually all up until maybe 10 years ago, I stopped and only did writing. Got it. Okay. When you were a junior, uh, you know, before you became a professional, what were some, I guess, like moments that stick out in your mind as being like pivotal moments for you in your riding? You know, I think every horse you have been worked with, especially when you, I shouldn't say especially, but because it's the same now, but before when you were younger, uh, I at least I only had one horse, and that horse I spent a lot of time with. So I really got to know them, and and uh, I really enjoyed that that connection with the horses. And even though I have a lot of horses now, I still enjoy that part, and I try to spend as much time as I can. But but also make sure when I ride that I really try to be in the moment and really listen to the horse and to get to know the personality and figure figure out how they work and how they're thinking. I think that's a very interesting thing in, in working with horses. Were you always in the jumping discipline or did you dabble in anything else growing up? No, I wasn't. I, I'm not um, for sure when I was young, but not, not at all in the riding thing because of the competition I was in riding because I liked riding and I liked to train and like mm. the horses and I was not actually not so much into horse to, to competing um so when I had ponies I didn't compete so much and then when I probably around the age because my father or my grandfather he bought me a, po a Connemara pony a two and a half year old when I was around 
maybe 10 years old. So I broke that one in, was riding and training. And then after a few years, just when that horse was ready to start competing, then I grown too tall. So I, I was too big for the pony. So we sold that one and then uh, we got a little bit of money. And for that money, we bought a two and a half year old thoroughbred mare from the racetrack. And um, I started to work with her. And uh, she was like, she came from the racetrack. It was really, really hot. So it took, uh, it was a bit of a challenge for me because I was probably around maybe 13, 14 years old. And it was a bit of a challenge for me coming from the pony to this thoroughbred race or ex race horse. Yeah. Um, she, she was broken, obviously, because she's racing. She was like, really really wild uh, that's how i remember it anyways i mm-hmm. i um was a bit of a challenge but that worked out really well and we i started to, uh, to train train her um and and at that time i was just um got a bit interesting in three-day eventing so i started training dressage for a dressage trainer and cross country and these things and after a few years she developed really well and with her i did my first olympic games Amazing. How old was she? Well, she was uh, she was uh, two and a half when I bought her, and she was probably uh, ten, maybe, or something when I did the Olympics. Wow! And when you got her, obviously she came from the track. Had she done any sort of jumping? No, only flat racing. Okay. What was that she process was... like getting her acclimated to that? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was a challenge. She was she was actually um, she was flat racing, but she was not fast enough. And I think she had some tying up problem because she was a bit nervous. So she came to our place to be, um, you know, to to uh, become a mother. Uh, but she never got uh, pregnant. So the owner didn't know what to do with her because they didn't want, did not want to take her back to the, ra- to the racetrack because she was not fast enough. And uh, if she couldn't have any foals, um, it was not much use. To them so they asked you know if if we could have any interest in the in the yeah. mare and then because i grown out of my pony it was you know it was a good thing uh so uh we took her on and uh, it was a bit of a challenge but it was it was good i learned a lot i learned a lot she was really hot but she was a fantastic mare and then we started to jump her and she was a very very good jumper actually in the whole career uh, in her whole career, she knocked one fence down in the competition You're ever. Wow. But this was three day eventing, so obviously we're not jumping so high, but still she was very, very careful and really good jumper. Yeah, that's quite the statistic. Um, tell me a little bit about what the your first Olympic Games were like and being so young and, and just that first experience. It kind of walk me through what that was like. Well, it was a very big, very big difference from from let's say Tokyo uh, last year because age of twenty I was totally unexperienced uh, both as a rider but also mentally uh, to go to Olympic game <clears throat> because all the all the all the expectations and all the pressure and all the um, things you have have to have organized before and so on I I was totally unorganized and. Uh, and uh, in that sense, it was it was uh, a fantastic experience in one way, but in another way, it was quite uh, um, I say, not stressful. But I was not in control all the time. 
Tell me a little bit about your kind of history. I know you mentioned that you are in graphic design as well and very creative in that area. I know back maybe a few years back, I think 2000, I guess that's almost 10, 10 years back now. Wow. You won an FEI competition to create pictographs for the seven different FEI disciplines. I feel like that's such a fun fact that maybe some people don't, don't know about you, but tell me a little bit about your current, I guess, ambitions um, and things for graphic design. Is that still something that you work on today? And um, what was that like back then in 2012? Uh, now, like like I said, uh, probably around ten years ago, not quite ten years. Around ten years ago, I got uh, all in in my stable a, a, a bit less. To say I got him when he was seven, and he's sixteen now. Um, so uh, when I got him into the stable, I realized I had this fantastic horse. So um, to do him judge to, to do him justice, I. I decided to try to really develop myself, you know, as a sure. as a rider and, 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 and competition rider, just to try to make that next step as a horseman to to make him justice because I realized I had this horse and he was just amazing. So at that time I decided to quit that my, my graphic design work, my mm-hmm. my painting and so on. Because before that I had done maybe 50, 50, 50 painting doing left working as a graphic designer. And okay. 50% of my time writing wise and uh, the graphic design uh, thing. I really, I really enjoyed it, you know, and uh, painting and it was, it was nice, but it's hard to combine with a, with the kind of um, competition life. I, I lead now because now I'm away a lot on shows mm-hmm. almost that weekend. And when I'm home, I want to spend time with my kids and my wife and right. I can't, Sit in yeah. front of the computer and work with other things. <laughs> yep, exactly. Well, riding obviously runs in the family. You're a fifth generation horseman. Yes. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And like uh, your wife rides, your brother rides. You also have three kids, correct? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Do Good any point. of that? Are any of them into riding? Uh, yeah, the youngest one. You have you have no choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's uh, no, but he, he, we, we have a very good pony for him and he's really enjoying it. I just came in actually from riding with him and he seems to enjoy it. Amazing. So we have, we have, a, I have hopes that he will keep, keep the t- tradition alive. Love it. Oh, that's amazing. Um, tell me a little bit about your current string. What are your horses like? What are some personality traits? What would you say are some strengths and some things that you're working on with each of them? I had a I had a very good uh, string of horses um, the last couple of years, but uh, like four or five Grand Prix horses, and they're still all sound and going, but they're all getting older, like all sure. in and catch me not. Um, they are sixteen, and Christian came coming fifteen, and Hanson is fourteen, so they they might have a few more years, but it might not. Just depends on how they how they feeling. So my challenge now is to try to to build up a new new string of horses. Um, it's a challenge, but I also really enjoy that process to to uh, work with with new new horses and get to know them, and hopefully some of them are good. What do you look for? Are there are there specific traits? Um, do you feel like you can ride a lot of different horses at this point, or do you kind of have a type? Yeah, like I I, I would say I'm probably open to 
most things, but you know, I enjoy. <laughs> I, I I really appreciate if they are careful, like really mm-hmm. have a good sense on where they keep the feet, and 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 they are 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 naturally very careful. I I enjoy that, and um, always nice with a bit of scope <laughs> helps, Definitely. and uh, also in in from my experience, I always done most well with horses with a big stride because i when i ride it suits me to have a horse with a long stride mm. like a natural long stride that i can you know with the flat work and so on i can i can collect them rather to, than for me to, to start with a horse with a short stride it's always been more difficult for me right so if i look at the past the horses that have been most successful for me is horses with a with a, with a long stride nice or like um, all he has he has both i mean he has the ability yeah. to lengthen and shorten that's of course even even better absolutely walk me back to uh tokyo and that process where were you at originally when tokyo was um, supposed to be in 2020 how did that uh, delay affect your plan and and your horses and then talk me through you know, what, like how the events were, how the different format was to you. Um, what were your thoughts on it? Uh, was First of all, I was, I was actually lucky that it was delayed one year because that meant I could, I could ride all in. If it would have been one year earlier, I couldn't have ridden him because he was, uh, he was resting, uh, recovering from an injury. Sure. And <clears throat> so that was lucky. Okay, I might have gone there with, with um, Catch Me Not instead. <clears throat> which is also a very good horse. But um, looking now uh, from <clears throat> the success it was, I was very lucky there was a delayed one one year. I think it was a fantastic event. Good place, good, uh, very good course designing. Stables were really good. And we were riding in the evening, so for the horses it was actually really nice. It was not too too warm. And I think all horses felt really soft and nice there, really... I think they felt comfortable in the the climate with the hot weather. Definitely. So, uh, what was your what was some of your favorite moments there at Tokyo? It's always at the Olympic Games when you go and you know you have a you have a good horse, you're riding a good team, you know this is probably your shot. Like you mm-hmm. have this you have this chance this weekend to make something very special. It's uh, fantastic to have that. Uh, opportunity to to create something but it's also a bit of stress you know you have the chance to to take a gold medal you you really you really determined not to make a mistake you really hope you're going to have the luck on your side so that's both the fantastic feeling, but also a little bit stressful, of course. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Because you can have all of those components. And um, I feel like in, in a high pressure, potentially stressful event like the Olympic Games, the stars also do have to align a bit too. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, absolutely. And you have to have the luck on your side and um, yeah. you have to make sure you don't make a mistake because yeah. there's, there's actually no room for a mistake. If you make a mistake, you won't get a medal. Right. It's it's hard, but that's the way it is. Right, right. And I think that it was, you know, a, a for, the format really allowed the the top team to to really shine. And so I think it was really cool to um, see what you were able to, 
you know, put out there and represent your country. After the Olympic Games, what is that process like for you and for your horses kind of coming down off of that high and, and all of that work leading up to the Games? It was, uh, it was very, very positive because if you win, if you win a medal or even a gold medal at European Championship or, or, uh, or World Equestrian Games, that's a big, uh, bi- really big thing, but mainly in the horse industry uh, or, or for people that like horses and watching, but you don't reach outside that group of people. Mm-hmm. Win a, a medal or a gold at Olympic Games, it's a huge thing for your country. And that right. we really realized that when we came home, that it's, it, has, it has had a huge effect on Swedish, on Swedish um, uh, horse sport, actually, especially show jumping. That that came, not only horse people had been watching, but all kind of sport people had been, been watching, and they really, really enjoyed uh, this new format because it was easy to understand. It was very exciting, and um, now show jumping is becoming a very big sport in Sweden, and we've got an award like for for um, the most popular sport in Sweden. We got this prize called Jering Priest. Yeah, in peace it is called. It's um, people vote for the best sport achievement of the year, and that went to Swedish show jumping. So it was a huge thing. Wow, that's so exciting. Have you ever needed to fly your horse somewhere? The partners of Equijet have been well established in the competitive horse world for over 20 years and have been in the import and export business for more than 15. With lifetime passions of riding, training, and taking care of horses, Equijet's expertise and knowledge of the nuances of equine travel are just unparalleled in the business. They really understand that comprehensive and clear logistical solutions to shipping needs are of the utmost importance, and they ensure that your horses are headed to their final destination with the proper documents, safety, of course, at all times. At Equijet, they are horse people first, dedicated to the well-being of your horse in transit and to its destination in top condition. Equijet's top priority is shipping your horses safely and with the highest amount of service, and their team is absolutely committed to professionalism, detail, and timeliness. So to find out more about Equijet and how they could be helpful for your shipping needs, you can visit their website at equijet.com. That's E-Q-U-I-J-E-T.com. Thank you so much, Equijet, for sponsoring this episode. All right, let's get back to the episode. With all of that, um, you know, additional publicity and recognition, I mean, does that, does that feel like you have a, a ton more pressure on you and your performance and your horses? How do you kind of handle that? that added um, maybe like pressure that you might feel? Um, to be honest, I don't feel any pressure at all. Not, not from anybody else. Obviously I feel for myself that sure. I, I have to keep developing and getting better. That's the only way to, to keep going in this sport. As soon as you stop trying to get better and, and learning and mm-hmm. developing, then you're on a, you're on a, you're going downhill. Right. There's not there's nothing like maintaining a place or something like that. You have to want to get better. But this is this is just something that I think you have to have within yourself. This is not pressure that if you let the pressure from outside get you, I think uh, then the fun is is gone and you won't perform well. And and uh, and luckily I don't feel any pressure from outside. You know, I'm just really happy for not only for me but for 
you know, for, for all horse people in Sweden that this happened because it helps helps a lot to get new 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 people in the sport, new sponsors and and um it's a good thing. Definitely. I mean, it's definitely what is going to keep this sport alive is just continuing to raise awareness, um, get it as much mainstream as possible. And and something like this win has definitely been, you know, obviously you've seen such a big increase and a benefit with, you know, mainstream um, that they have, you know, awarded and understood the uh, prevalence of equestrian sports. So that's been, I'm sure, so amazing for you to experience personally. Tell me a little bit about how your program is run, whether you are at home or on the road leading up to competition. Tell me some things that you like to set up in your ring at home to help prepare your horses um, and keep them balanced and organized and, and kind of get them ready for competition. Yeah, I think um, I think one thing is <clears throat> uh, first of all, one thing that's very important is the it's the management. Of course, you have to get to know your horse, how it is when it feels good, and as soon as something changes, you know the horse is showing something, uh, change of behavior, change of movement, or um, stiffness in the muscle or whatever. Then you know that something is going on, and I think. This is the number one key thing to um, solve this problem. Like all the, uh, sometimes I say that the, the amount of success is uh, relying on how many problems you can solve because that's, you know, if you deal with horses, you're always going to run into tru- trouble and problems. And if you can't solve them, you won't get any success. But if you can find out, you know, why the horse is behaving like this or like this, and, and solve the problem to be comfortable and happy, then you are in a good uh, in a good position, and you can train the way you want. So that's one thing to have a good good management at home, good uh, good grooms, and be able to spend a lot of time with the horses, and so on, and be aware of all the signals signals they send you. And then training wise, I think it's very important to have a plan for the horses, uh, like a. Um, a long-term plan, like you set the goals and you have like a plan for the year and then you have a plan for the month and then you have to plan for every week what are they going to do? Like, uh, So they do um, the right work every day. Not too much, not too little, but just the right thing they should do to get them fit for, for your goal. Um, and this you have to... Um, plan and have a good system to be able to plan that. If you have one horse, it's not such a big thing, but if you have 10 horses, it it it's, it's, uh, takes a little bit of effort to make sure that everything is done right every day for the horse. It gets the right tension and the right kind of work every day. Mm. Yeah. Even when I'm on the road, I have to make sure that they are worked in a good way. And then thirdly, I think it's very important to have the right people around you I'm lucky to be able to have, uh, I work with uh, Peter Erickson is called, he's um, road. We took silver in the Olympics in Athens together. And he's now, he's not retired, but he's not competing internationally anymore. So he comes to me twice a week. And once a week he's schooling my horses. And um, the other time then he trains me jumping. And I also have a, a very good, um, 
man called Odd Granli that comes and double lunch the horses once a week also. So when I'm when I'm away, I I also know that they are worked in a very good way. Nice. And um, I think that's that's um, important. And um, this training thing is that's fairly new for me, and I think it's uh, very good that I have a trainer that trains like Peter trains me once a week, um, three hours. Uh, like I ride three three different horses every Tuesday with him mm. from nine to twelve, and um, it's good actually to to uh, train with somebody else. Um, it it um, it keeps the the level of training high, and it's sometimes even if you want to have a good training session, if you come home, you maybe you come home from a show, you have a lot of things in your head, you have a you know, other people riding at the same time, you're looking at horses and so on. And then sometimes your own training comes in second hand. Sure. So it's really good to have a trainer. You turn off your telephone, no, like no other people jumping at the same time. You really make a plan and do a good, uh, good training session. Yeah. That's so interesting. Cause I find that sometimes at the top of the sport, you won't see every single rider have you know, someone helping them on the ground. And I think that that is so important. I mean, you look at so many other sports, you know, top football players and basketball players and, you know, any of the top sports, they all have coaches and trainers and athletic trainers and, you know, a whole team behind them as a way to support and make them better. And I think that that's really amazing that um, you're able to have that time uh, for yourself and to really focus on your riding because in the sport, I mean, there's so many different factors, like you were saying, in order to keep this business going, finding horses, buying horses, selling horses. Yeah. If you have, um, you know, clients and things like that, it's it's very easy to fill up all, all the hours of the day. So taking those three hours aside every week for you to really focus on your riding, I think is so important. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's fairly new for me and I, I'm really happy. I Maybe I've done it for a maybe a year now, year and a half. And I'm, I'm really, really um, happy the way it goes. And for sure, I'm going to keep doing it. And I'm going to try to develop it if possible. Sure. Love it. And I think, actually, I think in the future, like um, when I started show jumping, actually, when my brother started show jumping, which was even earlier because he's five years older than me and he's been longer in show jumping. Then he went to the show on his own with a groom. And that's what I'm doing also now. I go to the show on my own with the groom. So the past like 30 years hasn't happened a lot, to be honest, in the management way. So, And I think in the future, I think it's not going to be like that. It's going to be more teams hmm. working together and right. just to try to bring the level up even more. Right. Then everyone can really focus on the areas that they are good at. Um, exactly. So you're not, you know, worn out and run down and stressed out. Exactly. 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 <laughs> Love it. Um, tell me about an area of the industry that you are really passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian world either just doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about. Well, I think just to uh, finish off where we were and I think why, why it's hasn't changed this thing for 30 years is because it's not really a sport that you can make a living out of, or very few can do that. Sure. And and that that means that it's not like if you're in any other sport on a top level, you have to do a lot of other work just to 
be able to afford to go to shows like we have to sell horses buy horses like have students and give clinics and so on this right. it means that the sport is actually not a, a real sport it's more like a hobby so in to be able to develop it we have to make sure it comes in more money in the sport and um and i think this uh what happened to sweden now that it it, it, it got very popular people really enjoy watching the olympics just a good way of getting uh, the sport to grow because mm-hmm. if you get more new people in the sport, like the sport, it's easier to get sponsors and new horse owners and so on. And then all of a sudden, you don't have to make your living from selling and buying horses or give clinics and so on. Actually, you can maybe, if you're a rider, you can compete and you can you can uh, live from the price money. Mm-hmm. And this would bring the sport forward, I think, a lot. Um, Definitely. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And um, I think, you know, kind of like what we were talking about before, then everyone can, uh, the trainers can train and the riders can ride and the the grooms can groom. And with with having everyone narrow in and spend more quality hours working on their craft instead of everyone trying to do everything, that's, that's definitely going to allow the industry to be better. But we've almost got in this rut because, you know, every professional feels like they kind of need to do it all in order to keep doing what they love. And it it turns into kind of this vicious cycle sometimes. 100% true. But I think, I think uh, hopefully that, that that will change in the future. Definitely. Speaking of sponsors, you have a wonderful sponsor um, in H&M that you've been working with for a while. Tell me a little bit about how that came to be. Yeah, I've been very, very, very lucky and I'm really happy for, for H&M. I think without them, I would not be where I am, where I am now. And um, I have been sponsored by them for, no, we should see, I see soon 20 years. I think it's 19 years. Or maybe it's 20 years now. Wow. Maybe 20 years. I think I started 2002. Um, anyway, and um, well, they came in when I was actually on, on uh, more of a national level show jumping. And uh, that was a big, uh, a big change for me because um, when I got the sponsorship, then I also realized that I had to, you know, I had to earn their... Uh, I had to try to make them happy, <laughs> so yeah. so um, I had to make an extra effort and and um, really focus on on uh, show jumping. But because before that, I was doing a little bit of event, three day eventing and show jumping and painting and doing my graphic design. Sure. We just bought these farms. I was building on the farm and I was mowing the lawn and building fences and you know being uh, everywhere doing everything. But with this sponsorship, I realized that this was not going to, this way of life was something I really enjoyed, but it was not going to be a very successful show jumping career coming from it. So I had to make some changes. So I stopped three-day eventing and only went into show jumping and tried to build up a good team and you know, be, just be more professional. And it paid off because two years after I rode the Olympic Games in Athens uh, in show jumping. And, and then since then, I've only done show jumping. So H&M was the final nudge you needed to make the switch. Yes. <laughs> Finally kicking the, the back. Yeah. 
Oh, that's amazing. I think they're such an amazing, I mean, they're an incredible brand. They have so much exposure worldwide. And I think their ability to kind of be this bridge between, you know, uh, show jumping and the rest of the world and in terms of fashion and lifestyle, I think it's so cool that um, they have, you know, found this area to be interested in and to promote and sponsor. And I think that's so cool that they, that you've been working with them for so long. Yeah, it's fantastic. And now they also, uh, two of the three horses that won the gold at the um, Olympics were owned by H&M, which Not is bad. also fantastic. <laughs> and they've done so much for Swedish show jumping. It's unbelievable. I think without H&M, we would not be where we are. So we're really, really grateful for them. Amazing. Well, Peter, thank you so much for taking the time to walk me through your uh, amazing journey and how it just continues to climb and flourish and love watching you and, and continue to see you grow and, and win and succeed. And I wish you all the best. Thank you very much. Nice to talk to you. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.